So for this one, I had a bit of a hard time coming up with a title for it. I don't know if you know how I come up with titles for these. Remind me. It's dumb. I pretty much just try to combine the band names. Yes. I usually try okay. to like. I remember now. I usually try to like take a similar letter, but John Mayer Weezer Tub Ring 65 Days of Static and the Smashing Pumpkins don't have many similarities. So the two I came up with were Tub Weezer Ring for Tub Ring and Weezer. I used the R. Tub Weezer Ring. Tub Weezer Ring. Got it. Or 65 Days of Smashing Pumpkins. Wow. Mm. I think 65 Days of Smashing Pumpkins. That's the one? It sounds like 500 Days of Summer a little bit. (laughs) It does. Yeah, that's my favorite angsty indie movie, 500 Days of Smashing Pumpkins. (laughs) Eh, I tried. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Shuffle. Please make sure you listen to the five songs that we will be discussing this week's episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube playlists can be found in this episode's description. And as you might have guessed by now... I am not with Dominic today. Uh, Maxwell Quinnell is back for his second appearance. Hi. Hi, Max. Am I the only other person you've had on the podcast beside Dominic? My friend John Miller has been on twice. Okay. And my friend Chance has been on once. Okay. I but should you're to the second person to make a second appearance who's not Dominic. John Miller, though. John Miller's been on, yeah. So I'm the third person to make no, a second appearance. Well, Dominic doesn't count. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I am this. Yeah, Dominic, Dominic, you don't matter. <laughs> I hope you're listening. <laughs> so how have you been since last year? It is, um, it's been a, a year and a new year, new me. And it's about to be another new year. So That's true. It's going to be another new me here in a couple I, We're days. just going to keep checking in on you at the end of every year. This will be so great that like every year i can come i can go back and listen to who i was a year ago and like measure myself yeah i mean it's actually what we should do is take audio from the last episode and intercut it with this one and then we'll see if people can tell like oh this guy sounds a year more wiser than that other guy this is definitely 2016 (laughs) max and this is definitely 2015 max classic 2015 max big difference very noticeable well good news for all of us it has been 11 episodes since our last icp incident. actually mm-hmm. i think shortly after your episode is when we actually reviewed our first insane clown posse song i remember listening to an episode later on and that there was a whole segment that i just wasn't even aware of yep but luckily it was actually because okay you were on then john miller was on then we came back and David Bowie had just died. So then we did an episode about him. So then the episode right after that with Dominic was the first Insane Clown Posse song. Uh-huh. And it was horrible. And luckily we've gone a whole year since then without running into another one. So I'm glad I didn't have to subject you to that. You. Unless you're secretly a, a, a deep fan of Praise be to Trump. the Posse. Uh, so, since it's the end of the year, not that you have to have five, but are there any albums of the, your... Are we going to start with this? Yeah. Let's get right into this okay. shit. Okay. Okay. I have a list. Should I go one and then you go one? Or are you going to do this too? Yeah, I'm trying to think because Dominic and I did not get a chance to record one. 
Well, because you don't just put this won't be like the next one you release, will it? Or do you? No, hold it on will. To these? Okay. It will. Well, I really wanted to get Don Recognize top albums of the year out, but it just didn't work out. That's okay. I can just go. So too. you know what? I can talk about my tentative, and let's see if I can solidify it by the time we actually sure. record that one. Because sure, sure, I actually sure. might have some similar ones to you. Yeah. I, yeah. Just talk about the ones because I think yeah. Um. So the first one. First album of the year for me is No Worries, self-titled album, No Worries. I've never heard of No Worries. No Worries, spelled with an X, N-X. Oh, so, Nick So Worries? Yes, but two words. Got it, No Worries. Nick's Worries, No Worries. No, okay, uh, got it, okay. Um, Do you know anything about this See, now I have to, yeah, uh, I'll give you, I don't, uh, I'll give you the brief background of this band. That it's, you know, at least. It's a duo. Okay. It's uh, the producer Knowledge. Um, I think he's on a Stones Throw record label, and then Anderson Pack. Okay. Who's on? I know Trey's Anderson Record Pack. label. I do know Anderson Pack. They released a song like a year or two ago. It's called Blue Suede. It kind of blew up. Um, and now they this is their album that they have released together. So and it's very very good. Anderson Pack's had a busy year, I take it. Yes, yes. Because so I didn't even know he was in this duo. He has his solo album. Yep. And I know he also, also came out this year. He blew up on that uh, glowed up track by Trey. K, K Trinata? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like that was the K Trinata's big track of the year was glowed up. Glowed and up. then, do you know who Bus Driver is? Mm -mm. He's a older aging underground hip hop guy. He had a big song called World Worlds to Run. And Anderson was also featured on that. Anderson has been, Pack has been featured 2016 on. 2016 was been his year, I it think. It has been, yes, to say the least. All right, so is there anything else I should know about No No, no worries. worries? Um, Nothing comes to mind. I didn't prepare to necessarily talk about these oh, albums no, that's in fine. super depth. But um, yeah, Anderson Pack, he's an R&B kind of hip hop guy. And then I, if I could try to even attempt to describe Knowledge's production style on this record, it's like um, sample based sort of um older kind of soul funk okay and like r&b samples kind of like some of the stuff that kanye did with like life of pablo where there's like old 1970s little yeah. samples i would say compared to that pablo is is like a little bit more digital okay and this is a little bit more analog school. okay cool yeah. i'll have to check it out mm -hmm. can't say that one's on my list <laughs> Next one, uh, just in no particular order, Frank Ocean's Blonde. All right, this one is definitely going to be on my list. This is a big one, and we probably shouldn't get too deep into it. No, but, yeah, great, great record. Great, great record. It's been four years. I need to listen to the episode of this podcast where you guys talk about it. You've already talked about it, too. Like, yeah, we, we so dissected pretty too. deeply. Yeah. I will say, if anyone else hasn't listened to it, if you get through it, like I posted it on the Odd Future subreddit and on the Frank Ocean subreddit, and at first they were kind of giving me some flack because I got some of like the facts about him wrong. Really? Yeah, I I don't know. Either I took down a wrong note. It was just something about like I I think I mispronounced his last name. Ocean? No, his like real last name. Oh, okay. Like, the French one. Got you. Uh, and something about. You know, he was in Atlanta, and then he moved to L.A., and then he so met just up. some so just detail. some like yeah. But then they're like, but then they stuck around 
long enough to hear Dominic and, I, Dominic and I discuss what we thought about each track. And one dude actually said that our talking about his music deepened his appreciation for the album. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that he wouldn't like the album as much as it was had he not listened to us talk about it. I really need to go back so, and listen. So not trying to pat myself on the back too much, but... That's a great episode to check out. Baller. All right, what do you got next? Um, just real quick, probably if we, if I can go through the hmm. just my favorite tracks. Oh, go Blonde. for it. Sorry, I don't mean to rush you. No, no, no. Um, I'm gonna say, Nike is a really great track, and Blue Ivy. And bitch Nike. Rain, glitter. Uh, Blue Ivy uh, are the first two tracks. Like, Ivy. The first two it's tracks. just called Ivy. Blue Ivy. Ivy is Beyonce and Jay Z's daughter. <laughs> it's not about, it's not about her. Oh wait, sorry, it is about her. Okay, that, that's what I thought. Okay. No, Ivy's great. Interesting fact about Ivy: the word Ivy isn't used once in the track, but all the other tracks, the titles used in in the, in the song, in the lyrics, oh. except for Ivy. I didn't. Hmm. I don't know if there's a meaning behind that, the but that's just know. something I noticed. Right on. What was? Did you? What was your favorite track, real quick? It's either Nights, uh, Close to You, or Self Control. The solos, both solos are incredible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the one, especially the one with Andre 3000. Incredible. He. Only feature. He is a rapping machine. Yeah, not the only feature, but like the only prominent feature. Yeah. Yeah, he gets it. Next album. Oh, oh! I was. Oh, oh, you were waiting for me to say, "Yeah, go for the next album." I thought. Right, like, I didn't know. I didn't know if we were still on Franco. Oh no. I don't yeah. know how this Let's, podcast thing works. It doesn't work. Okay. You just do whatever. What do you got next? Chance the rapper, coloring book. Of course. Um, did you have you and Dominic talk about this? We have not. Like off the mic, we have. I think. But not on. Neither of us. I don't know if either of us listened to it enough to like. Feel safe about talking about it. That's like, fair. I, I thought it was pretty good. I definitely need to give it more listens, but like, it definitely didn't strike me as much as some of his earlier mixtape work. But that's just me. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. talked about yeah. that too. Um, I will say this. Um, Life of Pablo, um, is a rap gospel album, right? It or it was supposed to be at least allegedly. Yeah. And the only other rap hip-hop gospel album that i'm aware of that came out this year is chance the rapper yeah and this actually sounded like a rap gospel album i think it did more so than the life of pablo most definitely yeah. i agree with that and it's so different because and you compare those two albums i think that's kind of one of the things that i've taken away from coloring book is seeing it against this counterpart life of pablo with two different artists and yeah. uh it's just um so nice to hear that through the lens of like an artist who is on the upswing of his career true and is like totally sane and is just a positive like energy throughout like everything through he didn't all culture meet, he didn't meet with donald trump not yet i'm not gonna that's true he's got he's got time he's got time but no he's um yeah it's definitely one of my albums of the year um i dig it i think my favorite track just to do favorite tracks off no worries oh, yeah. my favorite track would be living off chance rappers coloring book it would be blessings reprise the last song on the album all right it's it's beautiful and then 
if you had to pick between Nikes and Ivy, do you? I would do Ivy. Ivy? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but it's it, yeah. No, that that's it's a great song. Such I, a simple song, just one guitar part. I really and, love the guitar part, and I like the the sentiment of the song yeah. too. Kind of him talking about this. I don't know if it's like a toxic relationship. Mm. Like some of the theories that Dominic and I came up with. Yeah. We kind of thought maybe, because, you know, ivy, it's like a vining plant, but it also is like a parasite, and it'll grow on other plants and kind of suck the life out of it. So we thought maybe he's kind of talking about this person who, you know, he knows they're not good for each other, but they still have a thing, and yeah, it's a great track. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Okay, what's your next one? Next one real quick. How How long should this be? Should I speed it up? These episodes can go anywhere from a no half hour to like two and a half hours long. Great. So talk as much as you want. As much as little as I want? Okay. No time limit. Next one, we already talked about this dude, Anderson Pack Malibu. Anderson Pack Malibu. We already talked about this album. A little bit. Yeah. I actually still have, have not gotten around to listening to it. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. It is. Um, I will say, and I, I learned this about you recently that you're not an R&B, R&B fella. Not exactly. Not exactly. Um, and Anderson Pack is definitely R&B inspired. I wouldn't say it's pure R&B. There's definitely nothing these days is one genre pure mm-hmm. anymore. It's such a genre mash and met, meld, um, hosh posh. But I, I, I like from what I know of Anderson. Not that I'm an aficionado on him, mm-hmm. but he kind of reminds me of Frank in that. He's kind of a unique voice in the R&B world. Very much. Like he has so. a very distinct sound, which I appreciate. Very much uh, an old, older, yeah. old school vibe. Yeah, and I meant to check this album out. I honestly just like didn't get around to it. And then like I've been reading websites and he's the everywhere list, and now. he's topping everybody's lists. So exactly, I meant to check it out. So yeah, definitely, I would rec- highly recommend go back, give this one a listen. Um, every track is, you know. Definitely a uh, similar Sonic uh, theme throughout the whole album, but every track definitely has its own sound. Um, my favorite on this one would be Room In Here. Room In Here. Room In Here featuring uh, The Game. Ooh. It's very... I'm He's not a, still around? I don't even know who that is, dude. Like, I'm, I'm the age where... I, I don't know if it's my age or what it is, but I'm like... He's, he's been around for a while. I didn't even know he was still a thing. Yeah. Well, apparently... He's helping Mr. Pack blow up. And you like his feature on this? Um, from what you can, or is his feature's fine. I think it's definitely um, the the beat itself, the production, and Anderson's, Anderson's voice okay. that shines through the most, and then sort of tagged by this game. And then um, last album would be Whitney Light Upon the Lake. You were telling me about Whitney a little bit, and I. Honestly, can't say I've ever heard of Whitney. Right, it's a new band. This is their debut album. Came out earlier this year, uh, a couple months ago. And uh, yeah, it really, their sound, I heard it on the radio and it really took me by storm. Also hip hop ish? No, 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 no. This is completely different than every. <laughs> now that I think about uh, it, this is the only like indie rock okay, band. Okay, so indie rock style band. Definitely. Okay. I would say think kind of like Tame Impala a little bit. It's a little psychedelic. It's not even psychedelic. It's just um, an older vintage sound. Oh, so kind of not much digital, kind of an analog warm. I would say no digital whatsoever. And um, 
favorite track off here is Golden Days. Just like a really rich sound, very super nostalgic, I think is how I described it to you. Yes, you did. Earlier. Nostalgic core. Nostalgic wave. <laughs> favorite wave. <laughs> well, awesome. I will definitely have to check yes, yes, the yes. ones I haven't heard out. Thank Some you. of the other ones that I'm playing with for my top. Mm. So, uh... We talked about Frank Ocean's Blonde. I've been thinking Danny Brown's Atrocity Exhibition, mm-hmm. uh, Tycho's new album Epoch, um, David Bowie's Black Star. I didn't. How is that? It's really good and really eerie. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, he literally like wrote this album about his death and then put it out, and then two <laughs> days later he died. Incredible. It's fucked up, but really great. <laughs> I don't know. If you want to learn some more about Bowie, we also have an episode about him. Let's plug in Shuffle some more. <laughs> um, trying to think what else has come up mm-hmm. this year. Uh, Blank Banshee's Mega. He's a vaporwave art, vapor trap artist. Mm. Um, which at first his music was kind of like a joke to me, as most vaporwave kind of was. But he put out this new album this year, and it's really good. Really great. Uh, he's evolving vaporwave, and it sounds like real legitimate electronic, maybe kind of IDM-ish intelligent dance music, not EDM. Wow. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then also, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of his album. El Huervo put out a new album this year, and I got into him kind of based off a suggestion from you because you originally pointed me towards the Hotline Miami soundtrack. Yes. And El Huervo has a couple tracks on the Hotline Miami soundtrack. Which ones? So the one that plays usually after you beat a level and you like you go to like the convenience store, the pizza place and it's kind of like this like really hip hop drums and piano it's really really fucking chill yes. like hip hop instrumental music that guy's El Huervo and he just put on a new album it's called like Vanguard or Vanier or something mm-hmm. it's dumb I've, lis- I've probably listened to this album more than any other albums on my top list and I can't think of the name <laughs> of it but it's really great if you're into like kind of instrumental chill hip hop this guy's where it's at. To check that out. This guy's where it's at. All of his stuff's on Spotify too. He's, I think he's from like Sweden or something. He did all of the art for the second Hotline Miami game. What do you, the actual like the visual art. Yeah, like the, the the dude with the red hair and the glasses. Did you just hear a piano? I think you might have like Facebook open on your laptop and got a notification or something. That's definitely a Facebook noise. It's your laptop, dude. Definitely came from on this side. No, I know that sound. That's because the Google browser has a little notification now when you get Facebook. It came from in that corner. Oh, okay. It came from the haunted Facebook and that lamp over there. Yeah, it did. My Facebook. My lamp has a really popular Facebook. Really bad. Your dad's lamp. Or did you bring that lamp from St. Father? That's the name of my vaporwave band is your dad's lamp. Your dad's lamp. <laughs> My vaporwave name. I'm looking forward to your first mixtape. That's right. Vapor tape? <laughs> Taper wave? Vapor trail? Vapor trail. Chemtrail? You, you came up, what did you say? Earth? We're at 
My, can I say where we yeah. are right now? I don't. Yeah. Yeah, we're it. at my parents. In Thief River Falls, we're Minnesota. We're in Thief River Falls. My parents have nothing to do with this, but we're at their house. And um, Jared, what, you came up with like the funniest mixtape name I've ever heard like the other day. Do you remember what it is? Oh shit! No. What were we talking about? Oh god. Just edit this part. Out. Oh, this is fun. No, this I'm leaving this. All in. Right. This is this Damn is, it. This is where the gold's at. I tried. If you think of I it, really want to flirt okay. it out. I'm just gonna sit here in silence until I think of it. Hey, keep it down. I'm trying to. Oh, no, I, I, I can't. I don't. I can't remember. <laughs> if it comes back to me, I'll just blur it out in the middle of whatever please. I'm saying. And if same with you. Please do. Please do. Okay. Well, is there anything else you've been listening to lately that you want to talk about that? didn't come out this year but you've been vibing on or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well i just it's the air is a little bit heavy um for a lot of reasons one of which is that the app vine is ending rest in peace rest in peace and both you and i are a really big fan of this yeah i don't know if i'm gonna make it god i love vine so much I Vine gets so much hate. I tell so many people that I love Vine, and so few people are like me too. I honestly wish they either hate on it or they go, "Oh yeah, I remember that app." Yeah, but no one uses it. That's. I wish I could like. I wish I could push another social network in front of the bullet to Mm. take the hit for Vine. Which one would you choose? If I, oh well, if I could kill off anyone Instagram of like the main, like the big ones. Um, I mean honestly. Facebook, Reddit. Uh, does Reddit count? That I don't, I don't know. Count. That's more like a. That's more of a. I mean honestly, website. I'd have to say like Facebook. Fuck Facebook, dude. Because like as much as like I use it Facebook all the time. Facebook makes my life worse. Because initially. Mine makes my life yeah, better. Initially, I want to say like oh Twitter because I don't use Twitter as much as I used to, but like I rely on Twitter for like, like if. Nine Inch Nails is about to drop a new album, which they just kind of did. I yeah. learn about it on Twitter first because I get notifications from it. Twitter's too important. Instagram is too vital to, to what you do. My artistic career. Facebook's just. Have you talked about your pictures and shit on here? Not really. Do you want to? Jared has pictures on his Instagram. <laughs> Go buy them. Thank you, Max. You're welcome. Everyone do what Max what's your, says. What's your Instagram? It's. J-R-D-S-C-T-T, Jared Scott. Jared Scott. You can, if you go on Shuffle's website, you can get to Quickly my Instagram. Quickly mention the, um, what you're doing, your project. Oh, I make glitch art. I take photos and I digitally distort them and glitch them. And I've been post every day for a year I've been posting one. Actually, I'm almost done. I just posted, like, number 300. They're incredible. I'm one of them. Today. Look, I got, yeah. I'm honored enough to be one of those. Max people. is a glitch. He's I, a glitch. He's glitched me. It's beautiful. You should buy them one of Max specifically. Thank, and then let's, send it let's to me because I don't even have it. Can I get a free one of that because I was one of them? If I start making money, yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. I cheers to that. Yeah. So any. Oh wait, here. Let's cheers. I hope that that yeah that came up on the microphone. Hell yeah. So yeah, I'd have to say of all this, Facebook's the most useless. So I'd push that in front of the bullet and let that die. I would also choose Facebook. I, I 
You I, never use Facebook. I don't. You just do the thing where you go on Facebook and you look at other people's statuses and you feel bad about yourself. That's all I ever really use it for. Yeah. Twitter is too vital because I follow too many funny comedians and that that brightens my day. Also, fuck Tumblr a little bit. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about Did, Tumblr. I forgot about Tumblr. I don't use Tumblr. Tumblr is already gone. Okay, we can't so, even yeah. use Tumblr as a, as a meat shield. It would take too much effort to lift up the dead body You'd and You'd have to resurrect it. You can Tumblr at least push Facebook. Again. Yeah. Facebook's at least alive. Yeah, kind of fuck Tumblr. Um, but yeah, the reason I'm bringing up Vine, Vine's ending, and I just thought, since this is a music podcast, um, to talk about um, some jams that I've gotten from this app. Hashtag Vine Jams. Hashtag Vine Jams. I hope this is a new segment on your show. Holy shit. And you can do one more time okay. before it I'm dies. looking at your list right here. This album is one of my favorite albums I've ever heard in my entire life. That's crazy. Yes. I... This has never happened. I, we're being super mysterious right now. This has never happened to me before, but did you know that if you go on band camps and stream albums, if you do it too many times, they'll eventually, a message will pop up saying, you have to buy this if you want to keep streaming it. <laughs> That's how many times I streamed that album on Bandcamp because it didn't used to be... You okay? Yeah, no, I'm good. It didn't used to be available on Spotify or anything. So the only and like, I I streamed it so many times. It's like, it dude, literally you have to buy this. Prompted you to buy. And I was it. like, okay. So then he paid a dollar and I bought it. <laughs> you I piece felt like of such shit. a shithead. <laughs> you gotta go back and buy yeah. the album again yeah. for nine dollars. But I'll let you talk about these and then we can reveal what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, we won't do that one first. That'll be just real. And these, this doesn't have to be super long. I just the, <clears throat> so the Vine account Whitney. I want to plug her i guess in case your listeners want to go and check out vine before before it, it gets dies off. in literally a second um the song sleepless by flume oh flume's great flume this is how i discovered flume is through this one random vine i saw followed him on soundcloud um it's just crazy and now he's he's blowing up he's on the radio no yeah flume's awesome flume I, is great i love flume. another one um on the vine account jasmine jasmineator I like Jasmineator. You know Jasmineator? She's a girl with like the short curly black hair and mm. she dances and mm. yeah, I know Jasmineator. It's a good good music fan account. <laughs> um I I'm let me see if I can pronounce this. Todd Turge T E R J E is the artist. Inspector Norse is the song. Um Inspector Norse. Inspector Norse. Okay. Um check that out on SoundCloud. Very fun dance music. Finally, the song from the artist that Jared was talking about earlier, yes. the artist Home, but in the song Resonance. So good. This song literally, I think, defines... There, I think there's a few vines and songs that defined Vine, and this is one of those early songs that blew up on like a viral... Let me ask. 88 million views. Did you see the Vine of the south korean girl dancing with her cat that's exactly what i'm talking about jared there are like i bet there's probably 50 vines total that it like define what it is like that have defined that app that song pops up in vines all the time i actually found that through a youtube video though really there's this weird youtube channel that's do you know what asmr is yeah oh yeah okay so it's fringe asmr (laughs) it's it's this channel called cut dat okay where these guys 
live in they created this fictional world where there's a thing called professional cutting where there's like um essentially it's a sport where you get different fruits and vegetables and produce and you have to cut them with just a spoon a metal a little metal spoon wow so like he'll have a whole watermelon and he'll have to just fucking cut through it and the whole time they do kind of like a golf announcer thing so the reason why it's kind of fringe asmr is the whole time like and the cutter's picking up his spoon and, what oh the that fuck is, is a this beautiful called? cut cut dat c-u-t space d-a-t cut dat but yeah it's like ooh, the cutters using the spoons end to puncture the watermelon and like they actually like score them and based off of like these rigid like rigid set of rules about cutting professional spoon cutting and in one of their videos they featured the song resonance by home and that's how i first learned about them. oh my god jared that's way cooler than vine <laughs> ever will be cut that fringe asmr yeah <clears throat> and the last one um, I don't, I don't, yeah, you, well, you mentioned the South Korean girl for Home and Resonance. Let me guess, let me guess. This next let one, I don't know the Vine account. Electra Lemon. Electra Lemon does use this song. Yeah, and he and gets slapped the, in the face with a burger. With a burger to okay. this song. Wow. You even, you know this song is upside Dude, down. Dude, I know, I know Vine and these songs. It's, tell um, me it, Max. It's, uh, These Days by Nico. I've been out to walk. I don't do too much talk. I never never heard the vocals days. to that song. I've heard the six seconds that everybody uses. Just in their the guitar mind. part. Yes. Now I'm gonna learn that on guitar, by the way. The film buff in you. Okay. Somewhere deep in your subconscious. I'm a film major. I just graduated. Might have heard this song in Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, then I definitely heard it. It famously plays during the scene when Luke Wilson kills himself. No, is picking up. Uh, Margot Tenenbaum from the bus stop and everything's going in slow motion. I've seen that on Vine. Yep, and the fo there's football players in the background and birds and like all he He's can see is her slowly walking. That song, These Days by Nico plays while she's slowly walking towards him. Wow. So I, that might have been familiar to you. Well, I've seen that Vine, but I thought it was just somebody putting that music to that scene. I it's actually realize. featured in that scene. That's incredible. Yep. Yeah, that's Nico. She... She was huge in like the late 1970s. Like she did a lot of stuff with like the Velvet Underground, and she's featured with like she did stuff with Swans and Tom Waits and people like that wow. in the early 80s, late 70s. And that was from one of her one of her most she, famous solo albums. Is she around anymore? I don't know. If she's alive. I should know this. I, I don't think she's alive, but I could be wrong about okay. that. But yeah, she's famous because she's got this really deep voice, and I, I think she's like German or something. By the by, the way you were singing, I assumed Nico was a man. Oh, it's a, it's a woman. She's got a very deep voice. That's incredible. So yeah, everyone, check out Vine. Check out those Vines. Check, check out, out those songs. Yeah. And appreciate Vine before it dies. I, God, I hope some, January. I hope something happens in that... Well, Twitter owns it now, right? What the fuck are they thinking? I don't know. Twitter's not doing well either, man. Yeah, Twitter's. They're Twitter hasn't been able to make money since it came out, and I'm sure Vine is making zero money either. Like, they <laughs> you know what? If I could just say one last thing about Vine before we never talk about it again, it's mm -hmm. just to say like this is one of the few times where I've actually felt like there is a a micro community. I think is how people describe it, and it's like, and it's genuinely 
like a community where there seems to be um, you know a connection between the users versus just like faceless posting yeah no definitely like especially like I was I joined Vine like right when it first dropped and it I, I, I miss those those early days like fucking Nicholas McGillis followed me <laughs> he follows me on Vine because I was around that early back when he had like no followers wow he's wow. liked some of my vines not you trying to break blowing my <laughs> My, he's even I'm in the room with like Vine royalty. He guys. even commented on one of mine once. I'm gonna go and you're gonna show him after this podcast. Yeah, I'll show you're it to show you. Show me his fucking comment. Yeah, and like, how the fuck did you find about Nicholas McGillis? He started following me. Oh, because he was. I think uh, he was looking. For I followers. think he was trying to get followers, so he did a mass following. So yeah, all of a sudden, like this dude following me, and then I was checking out his crazy ass little raps and stuff, and and then he blew the fuck up. Yeah, and now he's like rich for the rest of his life. Well, he's got a YouTube. He's trying to do like the YouTube thing now. A lot of them are trying to transition. Him and his model girlfriend have like an oh Instagram account and stuff. But like and also like I used to like interact with like Jerome Jar before he quit Vine. Whoa! That what do you mean? Yeah, the well just you interacted like, with him? Like I I think he liked a couple of my vines also. Because of Nicholas. Yeah, it was just it was the early days. Like there was like there had to have been less than a you never told me there had to been like less than of a thousand of us on Vine. Like You're, no one used Vine. And how did you hear about Vine? Call this episode the Vine episode. I will. Um, shit. Mark Weaver? I think his name is Mark Weaver. He's an artist. He's a great artist. He did the album art for the first How to Destroy Angels EP. Great EP. And I follow him on Twitter. And him and Rob Sheridan, the art director for Nine Inch Nails. So it's actually it's because of Nine Inch Nails that I follow Vine. They were both tweeting about... Oh, this new app's a really great way to make stop motion because they're both artists and they both in the early days of Vine were like making stop motion stuff. Oh, wow. And so I just, I downloaded it. It was like back in like early, early, two, it had to have been like the very end of 2012, the very beginning of 2013. Yeah, it's been about three years. Yeah, and back then you had like five Vine users worth watching. You had Jerome Jar... You had Adam Goldberg. Nice. You had, um, what's his face from Mad TV? Will, Will Sasso, Sasso in his fucking lemon puking back things. It's back days. when he still did it. And yeah, and now it's blown up. And like, there's people with legitimate careers. Like, YouTube is trying to make movies now. And what's his fucking face? Logan Paul, that bro. He's got, a, he's got multiple yes. movies coming out on YouTube. Like, full length drama movies. Yes. It's a weird time to be alive. It's a weird time to be alive. That's but yeah, what I say about that. like Vine, some Vine stars are at least attempting to get careers of some sort, I guess. But it's a weird world we live in. Do you have a favorite Viner? Shit. I'm going to say mine is probably Nick Coletti. Um, he's such a bro man child but Get a little closer to the microphone can you hear me one yeah two, i can one hear two. you you're just getting kind of quiet um you don't have to like <clears throat> so yeah your favorite is nick coletti uh saw dude saw dude did what does he do not really right oh my god dude he i'm 
slapping myself with my comb right now because he came to Minnesota. He and Getter, this EDM DJ. Getter's getting huge right now. He had a Skrillex feature. Yeah, because yeah, him and Skrillex are like... He, he got in tight with the Skrill. Yo, Skrill, point. drop it hard. Both uh, Nick Letty and Getter were roommates, I believe. And um, and then, yeah, so Getter's going on tour and he's bringing Nick Letty to DJ. I could have saw that motherfucker live. But I didn't back in October, and I think it'll be Shame. something I regret forever. Well, if Getter and Nick Clay or anything like Skrillex, they they just tour forever and never stop, so <laughs> they'll be back. They'll Hope, be back. Hopefully their careers are as um, prolific and as longevity as Skrillex. See? It's not my laptop. <laughs> it's, not, it's their computer, dude. Alright. I believe you. So some of my favorite Vine guys, like I love, I like some of the weirder stuff, like Popcorn. He's pretty great. Popcorn Ten. Yeah, Popcorn Ten. At least in the early days, he kind of got a bit formulaic for me after a while. Tony Tomahawk is always a go-to for me. <laughs> Uh, I wish of, we could play all of our favorite vines. I wish we could, a, instead. I wish instead of podcast right now, Vine was. I would give up this podcast if Vine didn't have to stop. <laughs> well, we should we should probably talk about music at some point. Okay, let's talk about our first track, "Slow Dancing in a Burning Room," live at the Nokia Theater by Jonathan Mayer. Off of his live album concert film Where the Light Is, John Mayer Live in Los Angeles, 2008. John Mayer is an American songwriter, guitarist, and producer from Bridgeport, Connecticut, who currently resides in Bozeman, Montana. He attended Berklee College of Music in Boston, but disenrolled and moved to Atlanta in 1997 with his friend and writing partner Clay Cook. And they had a short-lived band called Lo-Fi Masters which no one's ever heard of because they broke up right away. Though I found out that Cook like penned some of Mayer's like, first big hits, or at least helped him write it. Wow. Yeah. But then after they split up, Mayer continued to play local clubs and refine his skills, cut his teeth, as people in the business say. And following her performance at the 2001 South by Southwest Festival, got signed with Aware Records and then eventually Columbia Records. Uh, though Mayer started his career mainly performing acoustic rock music, he began to slowly move towards the blues genre that originally had influenced him as a musician. And by 2005, he was collaborating with the likes of B.B. King, Buddy Guy, and Eric Clapton. So he really kind of achieved... Uh, he got to play with his heroes, essentially. Um, after having several controversial incidents with the media, Mayer withdrew from the public in 2010 moved to Montana. One of these controversial uh, incidents was an interview with Playboy in 2010. Uh, when asked about dating black women during the Ooh. interview, have you heard about this? I don't. Okay, no. so some for some reason it came up cuz he kind of got known for dating stars. Like he's dated Jennifer Aniston and Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, Katy Perry and all these It's funny, there's kind of this pattern where all of a sudden, he'll drop an album, and there'll be a vocal feature of a female on one of them. 
and then all of a sudden they're dating. That ends up being his That lady. happened with Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. So he was asked, I, I don't know what the question was exactly. It must have been, why don't you date black women? Or have you ever dated black women? Or are you planning on dating black women? <laughs> anyway, his answer was, quote, my dick is sort of like a white supremacist. Wow. I've got a Benton Hart and a fucking David Duke cock. I'm going to start dating separately from my dick. He also then went on to use the word nigger and then later apologized for it via his Twitter saying it was arrogant of me to think I could intellectualize a word that is emo- so emotionally charged. Wow. Yeah. I think he got a little too big for his britches. As much as I hate to say the phrase big for his britches. <laughs> the only thing that I am aware of when it comes to John Mayer is that he was on Chappelle show. Yeah, and that was a great little skit. Great sketch. Um, and that he at one point tried stand up comedy. I was just going to talk to you about that. And, so, what do you. He had an incident with a comedian that you and I both. Kamel Nanjiani. Kamel Nanjiani, where he was weirdly racist towards Kamel Nanjiani, who is not a white person. No, he's Pakistani. Mm-hmm. And I think he also kind of like hogged the stage a bit. Like, I think from what I remember of the story, he kind of walked in and just kind of took over the roster and just did his own thing yeah and in the mid 2000s he began to sporadically try to do stand-up comedy trying to make random appearances at the famed comedy cellar in new york city as well yeah. as other venues and yeah he did some racist stuff to <laughs> camille and that sucks because camille is the best Uh, in 2015-16, Mayer became the new life singer of Dead & Company, which is essentially what the Grateful Dead is now, which upset a lot of people, but they're actually doing very well, so I don't know. I've never really, I'm not a deadhead. I've never really been into the Grateful Dead, so I, I don't really care. I have a Grateful Dead t-shirt. You do? That's my experience with the Grateful Dead. <laughs> is it a good t-shirt? Oh, it's a great t-shirt. Oh. I wish I had it with me right now. Well, I guess that's one point for the Grateful Dead. Make great t-shirts. Speaking of racism, I think Jerry Garcia was really racist <laughs> from what I remember. Oh, yeah? I don't... I don't know anything about any. He's dead, so whatever. Anyway, to date, Mayer has six studio albums, seven live albums, three compilation albums, two video albums, four EPs, 25 singles, 17 music videos, and has sold roughly 15 million albums in the U.S. He's kind of successful. Yeah. So this, this album, Where the Light Is, is a live album and concert film that documents Mayer's performance at the Nokia Theater in L.A., live in Los Angeles, California, during the promotional tour for his 2006 album, Continuum. Continuum. Continuum? Is that how you pronounce that? C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M. Yeah, Continuum. Continuum. I guess that makes sense. Continuum. I've never said that live before. Uh, The concert in question, which was for the annual John Mayer Holiday Charity Review, featured three separate performances. The first, an acoustic set by John Mayer by himself. The second with the John Mayer trio, and the third being with his regular touring band. And the title of the album is taken from a line in the song Gravity, which was also released on Continuum. So this track, Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, it's the eighth track on the album, and has since become one of Mayer's most enduring hits, loved amongst fans for its highly emotional lyrics and impassioned guitar solo. 
Mayer combines two images to create his title. The Burning Room, which is a symbol of a relationship, communicates the chaos and destruction of their current state. And the Slow Dancing, a symbol of both the complacency of their initial love, communicate the lack of success in finding a solution for their problems. Though their love is passionate, as evidenced by the tone of Mayer's doomed lover, it is riddled with practical problems that can only result in the collapse of the relationship. Thus, Mayer constructs the central image of the inevitable breakdown of the relationship as something akin to a fatalistic dance. Mm. I didn't write any of that. That was oh, from LyricGenius.com. Like, so poetic and well LyricGenius.com for all your lyrical needs. Thank God. So what did you think of this track? I have notes. Um, I'm just going to read them to you in, again, no particular order. How long is this fucking song? <laughs> It's like six something minutes, I think. Yeah, I, I, I was watching it on YouTube. You sent me the playlist on YouTube, and I just sort of started playing it. And I went to other tabs, and I was doing other stuff. And at some point, during my first listen to the song, I just thought that to myself. You realized it was still playing. How long is this fucking song? And it's only six minutes, so it's not even that long. But it feels, it feels long. That's something I think that will occur to you whilst listening to this song. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. If you want me to pontificate upon that. No, 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 no. It, no. Okay, because... Okay, and then another one of my notes is this song is mostly a guitar solo, which is how I imagine most of Mayer's music <laughs> to sound. At least these days, definitely. I'm not familiar yeah. with his music. I mean, his earlier stuff was a lot more kind of just straight kind of pop rock. But he definitely is. The more he moved towards the bluesy side of stuff, it just kind of became like... Him singing Speaking was just of Frank Ocean, kind of killing time between guitar solos. Right. But yeah, speaking of Frank Ocean. He did, uh, he was featured on Frank Ocean's first album, Channel Orange. Mayor was? Yeah. Mayer I didn't was, realize that. Yeah, in Pyramids, he's featured in, I guess, the guitar solo. Sure. Role part. Huh. Interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah. And then the last thing that I wrote about this song is... There's very pretty singing. Mayor's specialty, his voice is, for the very small portion of the song that actually features him singing, it's it's beautiful. He's a very very gifted singer. He is a great singer, especially for kind of this like, kind of quiet. This isn't emotional. a poppy. Exactly. Yeah. This isn't a poppy song. This is definitely like a more like methodical, um, thoughtful, provoking song. I think it kind of shines there. Definitely. Yeah. I. I mean, say what you will about John Mayer. He's kind of a douche, I think. And he's kind of... I don't know, I'm not trying to diss. He, he's, a, he's a mainstream act. He has a wide appeal. But that motherfucker can make that guitar cry. And the guitar literally <laughs> sounds seen, like it's crying. Have you, have you seen those pictures on the internet of people playing the guitar, but they're just giant slugs? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In the, in the faces they make, where they're just like, oh. It looks like they're playing giant slugs and yeah. the faces look like it. It's exactly that. This song is a bit cheesy and over-sentimental, but I think if you're in a cheesy, over-sentimental kind of mood... I feel like if you just don't listen to the lyrics and you only listen to the melody, it just is a very moving song. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, I, think I just I wrote something down about how, like, he's got a good voice... But whether you hear the lyrics or not, I think the idea of the song will still come across to you like, 
I'm sad this relationship is over. Like, mm-hmm. that is just the overall vibe. And whether you read the lyrics, listen to the lyrics, or just listen to the guitar, that idea is going to come across to you. And I will say, the studio recording of this song isn't as long. Like, there's definitely... Because it, right. it's live, he, there's a lot more noodling on the guitar. It, the, the solo was stretched out. And you know what? That's probably what the feeling of, like, is this song still going for? Is because, like, oh, yeah, this was a live recording yes. at the show. You can... That's more permitted. You do that kind of stuff, In yeah. the studio setting, it's more lean. Yeah, I agree. I was a bit surprised when he said the word bitch... I didn't know that John Mayer swore. <laughs> I was, I was, I was actually taken back a bit. I wasn't upset. It didn't, it didn't offend me. You're not mad at it. You're no. not mad at him. I'm not mad. I, in fact, I'd say I'm proud, and I wish he would swear more. Cause it feels good, man. It feels this good. Next song is just called Cunt. Would you buy that? Cunt by John Mayer. Would you listen to that? I would. I would. Like, if I just saw it written down, I would actively seek out that song because I'm just so curious as to what it sounds like. And then I wish it just sounds like a normal John Mayer yeah. song. Like, what if it was just... Like, There's no swearing It was just whatsoever. all the lyrics to, like, Your Body is a Wonderland or, like, Waiting on the World to Change, but it's just called that instead. <laughs> That'd be great. You'd be hitting a Come whole on, new John Mayer, if you want to get into stand-up comedy, that's some stuff you should be doing right there. Do the there. music thing, yeah. N- name your next album, Cunt. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... What, were you, what did you think of it? I think if you're in the right mood... You said that, I'm sorry. It's a great song, but it's also kind of a dumb song. Right. It's a dumb, great song. And I really respect his ability to make a guitar sound like it has emotion but it's also just kind of like bullshit blues music which all sounds the same at the end of the day too <laughs> like i like stevie ray vaughn and stuff but like all blues just sounds the same but i i want to disagree with you but i i don't have enough blues knowledge i mean there's a little bit of variation but when when you base an entire genre off of a single emotion there's only so much you can do with it i that's i would agree with that and i do respect mayor's ability to kind of combine traditional Whoa. blues with like a pop sensibility sure. like there's still a catchiness to like, it whereas yeah. most blues gets really self-indulgent i want to commend john mayer for keeping in the tradition of uh sort of coattailing black musicians in artistry and capitalizing on it um, because he's a white person. As long as he's not dating them because his dick doesn't like That's, that. Yeah, yep. You can't mix pleasure and business like that. You can't that. mix pleasure with business. <laughs> Don't stick your dick in business, as John Mayer says. <laughs> in his latest song, Cunt. In his latest song, Cunt. Uh... All right, let's move on to the next song, Death and Destruction by Weezer, off of the 2002 album, Maladroit. What do you think of that? I've never really heard of this Weezer. I'm not familiar with this Weezer album. It's one of their lesser known ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly, I don't think I've actually listened to this album until this song, mm-hmm. anything off this album until this song popped People up. People don't talk about this album. No, they do not. Um... So Weezer, for those who don't know, are an American alt-indie 
power pop rock band from Los Angeles, California. Uh, their first gig I learned was opening up for Keanu Reeves's band, which I didn't what? even know he had a band, which is called Dogstar. I believe it. Yeah, I had no idea. And so they got this gig, and before the gig, they realized that they didn't have a band name. So they had to come up with a band name before they could go on stage. That's hilarious. And Rivers said, oh, why don't we call our name Weezer? Because Weezer was a nickname given to him when he was a kid. Because other kids picked on him about his asthma and called him Weezer. Uh, the band didn't like it at first, but no one could come up with anything better. So they went with Weezer, and that, that's been that. It's a defining moment. And they have since been Weezer. Their first two albums, the self-titled Blue Album and Pinkerton, are frequently cited among some of the best albums of the 1990s. After Pinkerton, fans began to turn on their beloved Weezer, though. Uh, released uh, Releases following those two albums started to re- receive less and less praise and more and more criticism and in fact in 2010 a group of fans launched a fundraiser to get the band to break up did you ever hear about this a group of frustrated fans organized a campaign to raise 10 million dollars to convince weezer to break up that's incredible james burns the organizer of the fundraiser stated quote every year rivers cuomo swears that he's changed and that weezer's new album is going to be the best thing he's done since pinkerton and what happens another pile of crap like beverly hills or i'm your daddy this is an abusive relationship and it needs to stop now i'm tired of my friends being disappointed year after year i'm tired of endless whimsically cutesy album covers and music videos i beg you weezer take the money and disappear Shortly after the fundraiser went live, Weezer's drummer Patrick Wilson jokingly tweeted, if they can make it 20 million, we'll do a deluxe breakup. Oh my god. As you can assume, the fundraiser didn't work since they've put out three albums since this allegedly happened. And to date, they've actually sold like more than 17 million albums worldwide. So as well as them being hated, they're still very successful. Yes. So... Uh, so this album, this elusive album that neither Max and I have ever really listened to, Maladroit, Maladrot, is their fourth album, and it was their first to feature more heavy metal riffs, which was kind of uncommon to Weezer's previous releases. And this was kind of an experimental album with them, for them, in that they let the fans have a lot of control over the outcome of the album. Um, leading up to the release of the album, the band attempted to incorporate an innovative system in which the group would release demos in MP3 format on the band's website every day while working in the studio. This resulted in dozens of different versions of over 30 different songs circulating the internet before the album was ever released. When was this? What year was this? This was 2002, so... This is very progressive thinking. Kind of innovative. Yeah. The idea was to keep solid communication open with the band's fan base on the group's official message board. Yet, what ended up happening is Rivers Cuomo and the fans strongly disagreed on most of the creative aspects of the album, (laughs) and they ended up going with what Rivers wanted, because I think he's kind of a control freak. Uh, Regardless of the disagreements, the Weezer fans were still specially thanked in the album's liner notes, and the album's title itself was actually suggested by a fan. A maladroit means to be ineffective or clumsy. I didn't. I've never heard that word before. I'm gonna use it every day. 
That's a maladroit idea. Bother. <laughs> uh, the band's uploading of the MP3 demos onto the website resulted in many major radio stations playing the still unreleased and unfinished songs on the radio for the masses to hear, which led to a big spat between the record label because they didn't realize that Weezer was doing that mm. and a bunch of bullshit this happened. like some Life of Pablo shit, dude. Yeah. Versions of different songs being released. Exactly. Yeah, they were doing Kanye before Kanye was doing Kanye. Mm-hmm. And actually the album art... the OG Kanye. Yeah. Kawizanye. Keezer. Keezer? Yeah. The album art was actually chosen by a fan as well. They had like a contest on their website where people could submit album art and the band chose their favorite. So the title was chosen by fans. Some of the songs were kind of sculpted by fans and they chose the album art too so this track death and destruction was actually originally just an instrumental song and lyrics were since added to it after the instrumental version was put out lyrically the song's pretty straightforward it's about unrequited love cuomo is pretty on the nose with his meaning just i'm sad because you don't love me and i love you there's a theme this episode yeah so what did you think of this Unrequited love. Uh, my notes are as follows, in no particular order. Washed out guitar outro. I thought that was really nice. I agree. A really nice faded washed out guitar. Um, I. I thought that this was sort of a not typical song for Weezer, and it is almost it. It borders on emo. Mm-hmm. Are my next two notes. Um. It's so, I think, I don't really know that much about Weezer. I know their first album. I know sporadic parts of their other discography. The hits and whatnot. The hits, the, you know, Pinkerton, you know, all this, what have you. And none of the stuff that I've heard sounds even remotely like this song. And I think that's kind of cool that they have such an eclectic sound. But um, it is almost something that if you played, I wouldn't necessarily know is Weezer or even guess is Weezer. Yeah. With the tone. So this Weezer track, I thought it was very fitting that it followed the previous song, but like the last song seemed to kind of document the failing relationship that kind of beautifully painted this picture of slow dancing in a burning, dying relationship. Or this one. I didn't even talk about the title of the John Mayer song, but that's a you know it's kind of a corny on the nose title, but I do like it. I do like it too. I like it. It really kind of it paints a picture in your head. Yes. Good job, Johnny, or whoever, whatever team in the whoever Illuminati got to that. write that for you. Yes. But this track, it seems a little more like stalkerish. I'm not. There's really there's not enough. Li- I, that's just the vibe that yeah. Weezer has. That's true. Weezer's just a nerdy ugly, stalker, nerdy John Mayer. Yeah, because you know what? There aren't enough lyrics in this track for me to like take that from but just like it, it's basically like i love you you don't love me so i just assume like this girl doesn't even know you exist but you love her and i was gonna say the one like i was kind of caught off guard about a minute into it there's a really heavily distorted guitar that kicks and that seems to come out of left field which adds more to the stalker thing because then it's like the, i'm gonna kill you so we can be together forever <laughs> just bam. But no, it, it's still kind of sweet. Like, the guitar, I actually feel, is, like, the centerpiece of this track. Usually with a Weezer track, I feel like 
you know, Cuomo's quirky, poppy, catchy songwriting is the centerpiece. But the it doesn't surprise me as this this track started off as an instrumental track because I feel like the lyrics almost hold this track back a bit. Mm. Like I think it actually would be better because I really like the guitar. The guitar is probably my favorite part mm. of this song. I don't know. The lyrics are all right. They're just kind of dumb. I don't know how I feel about him spilling I love you at the end where he's just like I-L-O-V-E-Y-O-U and then the song just ends. I don't know how I feel about that. That's meh. I feel like this is also similar in the John Mayer sense where like this is a, a guitar song. This is mostly a guitar song. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you honestly if there was a lot of Weezer lyricism to this as far as like throughout the entire track but um i definitely think of the guitar when i think about this i agree what do you think of the name death and destruction i have no idea like i don't have any feelings about that one it seems very dramatic unnecessarily dramatic death and destruction is a little kind of corny again corny theme to these titles and i don't think it would be as corny or out of place if the lyrics weren't in there if it was just an instrumental track called death, death and, destruction, and destruction and it was just this guitar i think i could see it more but now that there's kind of these like whiny like why don't you love me narrative it's just kind of stupid right then. and actually i totally think agree. i think they realize that because i think i read when they play it live they usually don't sing it's like just an instrumental track when they play it live mm. so I th- maybe they regret adding maybe they the were lyrics. pressured into doing a lyric maybe by their fans i don't know any other thoughts on this or not at all all right okay let's move on to our third track touching the enemy by tubbering off the 2010 album secret handshakes Tubbering is a Chicago-based experimental rock band formed in 1992 as a high school band. And the band really took its form that we know now with the addition of its keyboardist Rob Kleiner two years later. Uh, Kleiner spent his teenage years flying around the band Mr. Bungle, which we featured on uh, the most recent episode of Shuffle. That explains a lot. And that really brought the experimental fusion tub sound that Tubbering came to be known for. Tubbering is associated with what I like to call the tech punk boom of the early early to mid 2000s bands such as Mindless Self-Indulgence, Foxy Shazam, Dog Fashion Disco, Screen Mechanical Brain. They toured a lot with bands like that. These kind of high intensity fusion-y techno I don't know how the fuck you describe I call them tech punk but that's really not a good way to put it I don't know how you describe them they do a lot of different shit genres are elusive yes Uh, Tubbering is also known for their intense and energetic live shows sometimes resulting in the injury to the performers themselves for example they often incorporate lit tasers and tase each other while performing <laughs> oh my god i've seen them live once your sister's seen them live a couple no times. way Are you oh, serious yeah. your sister's seen them live more than i have that's incredible because yeah they used to play shit they used to oh what's it there used to be this venue in saint cloud uh the red carpet no whiskey business I don't know if it's open anymore. I think Toy was in the name of it. Okay, I don't Toy know. Toy Box. They used to have, it was this crazy place, like, while the band was performing, there were, like, 
zip lines with handlebars that you could like oh zip across in front of the audience. God. And so like just I think they got shut down because the fucking liability of it. Because people are just flying over the walls the whole time. Holy shit. I know your sister's a couple times going up to St. Cloud to see like Scream Mechanical Brain and Tub Ring and Foxy Shazam and Dog Fashion Disco play. And I saw them once at Station 4 in St. Paul. Nice. Yeah, they put on a crazy live show. Uh, it is believed... Did you see anybody get tased? I That night, there were, they did not bust the tasers out. Oh, God. But I've seen video. Thank God. Whereas Death Grips would say, I've seen footage. <laughs> so it's believed that their band name comes from the Ring of Rust that sometimes forms around the hole at the bottom of a bathtub. Tub ring? Yes. So they haven't blatantly stated that, but that's just the theories. It's a good theory. Um, so this album, Secret Handshakes, is the sixth album by the band, and it breaks several patterns of the previous Tub Ring album releases. Up until this album, every one of their records has been related to SETI, which is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It's a group of people looking for aliens. Got it. So their first album was called The Drake Equation. And The Drake Equation is a probabilistic argument used to arrive at an estimate of the number of active, commutative, extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. So it basically, it uses a bunch of statistics saying if it's estimated that there's so many planets in the galaxy and so many of them are this far from their sun that it can only be assumed that this many planets probably have life on them. Okay. That's the Drake equation. And their first album was named after that. Uh, they have an album called Fermi Paradox, which refers to physicist Enrico Fermi's paradox that points out the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence and the high probability estimates for the existence of extraterrestrial civilizations. So basically, it's a response to the Drake equation stating, if there are so many planets with aliens on it, why haven't we met any of them yet? Uh-huh. Fermi Paradox. Then they have an album called The Zoo Hypothesis, which refers to the zoo hypothesis, which speculates as to the assumed behavior and existence of technically advanced extraterrestrial life and the reasons as to why they were... Sorry, this is all just gibberish. Basically, what the zoo hypothesis does is it tries to explain the Fermi's Paradox, stating that aliens know we exist, but they don't communicate with us because they don't want to... That's the word I'm looking for. They don't want to like mess with our ability Effects. for natural evolution and social development. Oh, right. They yes. don't want to have influence over how humanity affects the course of our exactly. evolution. Right, yeah. And then they have another album called The Great Filter, which refers to this theory of the Great Filter, which basically one of the parts of the Fermi's paradox states if there's so many alien life forms out there, obviously some of them probably have died. Why haven't we found like old alien civilizations or alien dead bodies that are just floating in space? Oh. And the great filter is this bullshit theory that's like, well, there's some giant theoretical filter that blocks all of that from us seeing pretty much. Mm. So anyway, all of their albums up until this one have related to this alien search. Also, every album up until this one had at least one song that had the word robot in the title of one of the songs. 
And all of those albums, the album art was predominantly blue. So this album, Secret Handshakes, did not refer to SETI, did not have a single track with Robot in the title, and the album art was all black and red and there wasn't a speck of blue on it. I don't know what the meaning behind any of that is, but it's interesting. <laughs> well put. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess we can just assume that the aliens got to them, probably, and are oh. controlling their minds and trying to make us not think about it they anymore. They are the robots that they previously mm. mentioned. They're robot aliens. Yes. Safe assumption. Yeah. So this track, Touching the Enemy, I tried reading the lyrics about it. I think... It's about going to war and blindly accepting orders to kill perceived enemies. Wow. That's my best guess. I really, there's stuff about blood and killing and touching the enemy. and It's cryptic. Yeah. I don't know. So what did you think of this track? Touching the enemy. Great name. It is a great name. Great track name. Um, uh, first thing I have on my notes, kind of like that one St. Vincent song's Birth in Reverse. If you're familiar with St. Vincent I am at all. familiar with that song. Oh, and actually, man. I can kind of hear that now that you mentioned that. Yeah, I really. Didn't... If you listen to both those songs' intros, I think they're definitely inspired. But this was in 2010, you said? Yeah, so it was before Birth in Reverse. Maybe... I believe that came out in 2013. Yeah, definitely a couple of years ago. So definitely after this song. What I like about Birth in Reverse is it starts with her singing about taking out the garbage and masturbating like the first two <laughs> lines of the song and masturbating yeah. all right anyway keep going yep um screamo is my next note my third note is i like this video um it's all in one shot it's just a really in, the, in that playlist is uh that mm -hmm. you sent me it's a youtube playlist so i saw the video for it and it's like very wide angle lens yeah kind of like almost cam. like fisheye lens definitely a fisheye effect and it's just one long take of just these guys banging it out in an apartment yeah, not, this, not having sex with each other but in just a, in a very yeah not banging out in the apartment very small room very small room where they're all just playing in a kind of cramped space i was really surprised when they peeked into the other room and there was three dudes with horns just standing just there. waiting there for their the cue. whole time just one time for like the yeah for like the five seconds they're featured in the song not even yeah not even a vine's worth of time no less than a vine's worth that's gonna be a measurement of time yeah and it's gonna make me sad every time i think every about time it. honey how long is it gonna be i'll be there in a vine and then just a single tear you both cry for six seconds <sighs> yeah i dug this track i thought it was very kind of quirky and catchy because it starts off very chill and then there it builds to yeah, a there's some craziness in there yes definitely i really like kind of the the constant drum pad boom ch, boom ch, just it's the whole time it never stops mm. and there's kind of like this little like little dinky synthesizer and then all of a sudden out of nowhere there's this really loud guitar and screaming and yeah it's very I, fun it is a fun track for a song with yelling and screaming about murdering enemies and rainwashing <laughs> blood off the grass. It's a fun track and I'm not being like ironic. It's a fun track. Genuinely it's, fun. It's there's a, there's a odd sense of like restrained insanity to this track. Like it's almost disturbing when like the happy poppy beaten keyboards are playing while like there's people screaming in the background. Just melting down. And I did, I think the, 
it was a really interesting choice the way they mixed the screams because they're very quiet. It's not a very loud like in the video. It's several different people screaming, screaming, and they're very quiet, but they're definitely screaming, and it's. I don't know if they're like. And that's the juxtaposition of the whole track, right? Yeah. Where it's very yeah. synthy and poppy on one end and scream on the other, loud screaming. Yeah. I think overall, I did really dig this track. I, I don't know if they were going for like a distinctive, like lo fi sound, because if this is their sixth album, I feel like the sound is very intentional. And the production was very kind of lightly mixed. Not in a bad way, but like it definitely was like this could have sounded a lot richer and deeper than it did. It was kind of light and tinny, but in, not in a bad way. Hmm. I don't know. I dug it, I think. I also dug it. I dug it. Any other thoughts? Nope. All right, let's move on to our next track. These Things You Can't Unlearn by 65 Days of Static off the 2007 album The Destruction of Small Ideas. 65 Days of Static are an instrumental, electronic, post-rock, math-rock band from Sheffield, England. The band's music has been described as heavy, progressive, guitar-driven, instrumental post-rock with live drums and offbeat sampled drums akin to those of Aphex Twin. Uh, in their early days, the band was known as 65 Asterisk Days of Static though this version with the asterisk was never used on any of their releases. And I was trying to find out where they got their band name, and I guess it's shrouded in some mystery. There are m multiple stories as to where the band got their name, and they won't confirm or deny it. Do you have a that. favorite one? Did you look into these? Yeah, my favorite... Well, they're all pretty good, actually. Okay. I'll let you be the, the judge. I'll pick my favorite. So here's one. Supposedly, John Carpenter came to them... <laughs> and asked them to form a band so they could score a movie of his that was never released. Okay. The movie was called Stealth Bomber, and it was supposed to be starring Kurt Russell. Okay. And somewhere in the movie, something about 65 Days of Static was stated. Though that seems kind of unlikely that John Carpenter would be like, hey, you guys that are in a band, form a band so you can <laughs> score my movie for me. Second theory is that the band took its name from the CIA's 1954 Guatemalan coup d'etat during which the CIA put a white book instrument to use according to which 65 days of disabling the communication systems of a nation while spreading propaganda is enough to overthrow a country. So supposedly the CIA went to Guatemala and used some sort of electronic communication blocking system and while blocking their electronic communications stuffed the country full of a bunch of their own propaganda and it took exactly 65 days for them to kind of overthrow Revolt. the nation and then the third theory is that the name was taken from some psychological experiments that were conducted in the 1950s and 1960s in which it was found that if you expose a person to the sound of white noise or static for 65 days straight, they will be insane. Mm. And it takes 65 days to break them and turn them crazy. Wow. So those are the three theories. What's the best? Definitely the John Carpenter one is by far my favorite. Yeah, I think because the other two are a little too real. Those are pretty creepy. dark. And the other one's just ridiculous. The other one's so. the, the John Carpenter one sounds like a fever dream. Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's go with that. John Carpenter gave them their name. They are also known for having provided the soundtrack to the 2016 commercial flop video game No Man's Sky. Uh, no kidding. Yep, they did the soundtrack for it. That's crazy. Did you play that game, Jared? I did not. I have some friends who played it. Mixed reviews. It definitely mixed reviews. Everyone else hates it, I know, but... Sorry. Yeah. Fun fact... If you're a fan of this band, fans of the band are referred to as 65 Kids. That's the cute little name for fans. That's very 65 cute. Kids. Uh, I couldn't really find out anything super interesting about this album. It's their third album. And the song, it's an instrumental track, so I don't have any like fun facts or introspective <laughs> thoughts about the lyrics, because there sure. are none. So what did you think of this track? My notes are as follows. Um, there's a contrast between digital and acoustic sounds, which I think um, this is probably, um, is this something that you, maybe you do at the end of the episode where you pick your favorite track? We do usually, but if you want to do it now, I'll go for yeah, it. Yeah, I'll just say that this might be my favorite track of the, of the five because it is such a beautiful and um, thoughtful fusion and contrast of digital sounds of like electronic synthesis and synthesizers yeah. and whatnot and uh just your static or your standard string instruments um it's beautiful i agree wholeheartedly mm. yeah for as much as i like to think of myself as someone who is a post-rock fan in fact we did an episode about post-rock a while ago <laughs> um 65 Days of Static is one band that I've actually never really listened to or gotten into. I've heard of them before, and I think I kind of wrote them off. There's some post-rock bands that kind of make really generic-sounding post-rock music. Kind of, I'm not trying to diss, but I always assumed they were kind of like God is an astronaut. They kind of make this like really factory, pump them out, straightforward post-rock songs. And I think I really kind of wrote off 65 Days of Static for some reason, and I was extremely pleasantly surprised by this track. This is yes. the first 65 Days of Static song I think I've ever consciously listened to, and I was really surprised by how dynamic the sound was. Yes, It didn't have that stereotypical post-rock slow build to big crescendo. It bounced around a lot. There were loud moments, there were soft moments. I found the string section very refreshing. It reminded me of like Godspeed You Black Emperor. I was just about to say that. Yeah, or Silver Mount Zion. But then also the intense, heavy, distorted guitar parts really was like akin to like early Mogway music. So like they kind of, it feels like they're paying homage to some of the post-rock godfathers in a very successful way. And I really liked kind of the glitchy, staticky noises that were scattered throughout the whole track as well. I don't know and the funky syncopation near the end of the track was really interesting also and i just thought it kind of had this weird mix of like this sinister intensity but it was also very playful in some ways i felt very beautiful i don't know pleasantly surprised i'll definitely be checking them out in the future definitely i dug this track a lot i want to point out the xylophone at the end of the track as yeah. a highlight it's very um not even subtle, but it's the, it's very present, and it's just a nice little uh, surprise at the end. I agree. Yeah, the the, wa the wide variety of instrumentation, but it's not like obnoxious. 
Like it float. Like it wasn't like let's just stick in instruments to be different. Like yes. they all had like intent and added to the song in a positive way. I felt definitely two thumbs up from me. All right, let's move on to our final track. The beginning is the end is the beginning by the Smashing Pumpkins from their 1970 1997. Um, excuse me. Yeah. Is what? that the original title to this track let me I'll allow you to do the no so it's a bit confusing so the song we're talking about is the beginning is the end is the beginning by the Smashing Pumpkins word but this is off a single they put out which is called the end is the beginning is the end Uh, okay so I guess I can just get into it now in 1997 they wrote a song for the 1997 Batman and Robin movie, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. They wrote like the theme song for it, and it was called The End is the Beginning is the End, which was kind of like a high-intensity kind of electronica rock song. This is surprising. It is. It is a bit, especially for the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. But this was also like at the height of their career. And on that single, there were also like when they released the album as a single, there were like four other tracks on it. And one of them was kind of this stripped down, low temple, kind of dark and brooding rework of the song, which they titled The Beginning is the End is the Beginning, which is the one we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. Uh, If anyone doesn't know, the Smashing Pumpkins are an American alternative rock band from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, formed in 1988 by frontman guitarist Billy Corrigan, guitarist James Eha, bassist Darcy Retsky, and drummer Jimmy Chamberlain. Uh, disavowing the punk rock roots many of their alt-rock contemporaries had, the Pumpkins had a diverse, densely layered, and guitar-heavy sound, containing elements of goth rock, heavy metal, dream pop, psychedelic rock, progressive rock, shoegaze, and electronica. They were one of the most commercially successful and critically acclaimed bands of the 1990s. However, due to internal fighting, heavy drug use, and diminishing record sales, it led to an eventual breakup in the 2000s. Though from 2006 to 2012, Corrigan and continued to release music under the Pumpkins moniker. And actually, just as of the past few months, there's been rumors of a full original lineup reformation of the band, but nothing's mm-hmm. been confirmed. Uh, recently, James Chamber- uh, Jimmy Chamberlain and James Eha have appeared at a couple Pumpkin shows playing with the band. And both Darcy Retsky and Billy Corgan have talked that they're in communication with each other again and trying to repair the burnt bridge between them. So we might have a fully functioning Smashing Pumpkins in 2017. Now, does this news excite you, Jared? It does because Billy Corrigan, left to his own devices, fucking self-destructs. He is a shit show. He shouldn't be allowed to talk in front of a microphone. I've I am not familiar with the man myself, but I've heard through secondhand experiences. Some that... of like he keeps appearing on that motherfucking God, what's his name? That conspiracy theorist guy. I can't think of his name, but anyway, he keeps being on his conspiracy theorist guy show and talking about social justice warriors and youths and the KKK and aliens. And it's just nothing, no good can come from him talking. And I think 
the original band had there was enough like they hated each other so much where they're so busy fighting with each other that he wasn't allowed to be left to his own devices like he was still kind of the mastermind i think of everything but like he needs someone to reel him in a bit because he can be a bit much someone to uh, potentially argue with or bicker with to um keep him distracted exactly so i am excited about the possibility of right I am too. I'm not the biggest Smashing Pumpkins uh, fan, but I've heard some of their stuff, and uh, they're absolutely iconic, so um, any interesting music is good music, I guess. I agree. Um, So the band's name is also shrouded in some mystery, similar to 65 Days of Static. Uh, Do we have multiple stories? There are multiple stories, and the band's never really confirmed any of them either. Uh... None of them are that as great as the other one, I think. Damn it. So, like, there's this big, long-running rumor that the band... I think the band probably said this as a joke once. They joked about how, like, Gene Simmons came to them in a dream and stated to them that Joe Strummer is a pumpkin, drunken and smashed, and that's where the name came from. Now, if you go online and you want there's, to... There's countless fans that have countless theories as to where it came from. Uh, Darcy, during an uh, interview, tried to kind of like put it all to rest. She didn't blatantly state where it came from, but she basically said that it's just a name that Billy came up with, and he came up with it before the band even formed, and he just stated that's what it's called, and that's just what it was, and everyone should stop focusing on it. Though she did want to mention that a lot of people think that the name Smashing Pumpkins has to do with the actual act of smashing pumpkins, mm-hmm. but it actually is used as, uh, like how British people say, oh, smashing, like great, you know? <laughs> great pumpkin. Yeah, so it essentially means like great pumpkin or wonderful pumpkin. Great pumpkin. Yeah, like dude. that is a smashing pumpkin, not the act of violently smashing a pumpkin. She right. wanted to make that clear. Okay. And I don't know if Billy has ever commented on this or confirmed or denied it, but that's the only, like, solid evidential statement I could find on From the, the band. Yes, exactly. So, Smashing Pumpkin. Smashing. There is a wonderful vine by Caleb Hurst um, that's very funny about Smashing, the Smashing Pumpkin, Smashing Pumpkins that everybody should look up. It's a good viner. Do you know the vine I'm talking about? Wait... Let me describe are you it. Talking about, is, are you talking about Cole Hurst or is Caleb? No, Caleb Okay, I don't Hurst know who Caleb Hurst is. He's holding a pumpkin above a ledge, drops it, and begins singing in a pretty good uh, Billy Corgan impression. Today is the greatest. Oh. And then the pumpkin hits the ground and doesn't smash. And um, That's a great vine. I'm glad I You I simply that. describing it. You actually don't need that, to look it up Yeah, now. that's it's a great vine. That's the whole vine. Speaking of Smashing Pumpkin lyrics and songs, my friend John Miller is about to start a podcast called Despite All My Rage, I Am Stuck Watching Nicolas Cage. What? It's a bi-monthly podcast where him and a guest watch a Nicolas Cage movie and talk about it. And that's, that's the idea for it. That's incredible. Yeah, I think... I might be the first guest on it, and I think we're going to watch Ghost Rider. Oh, my gosh. Now, which Ghost Rider? The one with Nicolas Cage. 
There are two Nicolas Cage I didn't Ghost know Riders. that. Oh, you're in for a surprise then. I think they're both of equal quality. Well, which one should we watch? Oh, well, I mean, I think you're going to probably, I'm going to guess and assume that you're going to watch the original one. I think that's what we would do, yeah. But I hope the next one, I hope if you do his do podcast again, that you do the second okay. Ghost Rider. I'll do it. We'll do it for you. Thank you. So you guys can look forward to that. I'll plug it whenever that's eventually out. So this this song, the end is the beginning is the end, and the, the beginning is the end is the beginning. Like I said, the, the original, <laughs> the end is the beginning is the end, <laughs> is the song that they wrote for the Batman movie. They actually won a Grammy for it. The best hard shit. rock performance. It is a Grammy Award winning song. Uh, written for the 1997 Joel Shoemaker-directed Batman film, Batman and Robin. This was the first song that the band put out after their big 1995 hit album, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. So everyone was waiting for what they were going to do next, because this was literally the height of their career. They got number one on the Billboard charts with that album. Billy Corgan talked about writing this song, saying, quote, At one point I found myself going, I can't write a song about Batman. I'm in an alternative band. Then I thought, this is stupid. If I can write a song about Batman and it serves a purpose, which is to make it happen and connect with the movie and connect with something that is unique and original, then why not? For me, it was a great kind of artistic thing to do because it was very freeing. I wasn't talking about myself or trying to represent the Smashing Pumpkins. I was trying to represent Batman. End quote. That was pretty articulate. Yeah. He had his shit together when he Back said then, that. he did. God, right now, he's fucking... He, like, owns his own wrestling federation. Did you know that? <laughs> Not only that, but he even... owns it, and then he became the president of it. And then, like, a month after he became the president of it, he's suing it already for unknown reasons. That's incredible. And he's also making a documentary about America right now. Like, he's just... <sighs> they shouldn't let him do his own shit. It just seems like he maybe blew up too much yeah. or too fast or I too think, young or something. I think a, he's kind of like Kanye if he were in an If he failed eventually. Because Kanye, like, no matter what, like, people Kanye just Kanye fails him. up. But yeah, he fails up. Billy Corrigan just fucking crashed. Uh, Billy Corrigan <sighs> should be a rapper and then I think his career would be going a lot better. You listening, Billy? Listen to Max. He's, he's your new idea, man. Let's start your hip hop career. Give me your information, dude. So then, on this single, they wrote this song. The beginning is the end is the beginning, which is a slower, less rock-oriented version with slightly different lyrics and verses, but the same chorus. And this version actually also appeared on the Batman and Robin soundtrack, though it was never hugely popular. What kind of breathed life back into this particular track was this version of the song was used for the Watchmen trailer for the 2009 yes. film by Zack Snyder, Watchmen, which your sister turned me to. Like, I I don't know if I'd ever heard this song, but your sister's like a huge fan of this song. Mm. She showed me the trailer, and I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. I believe it. Yeah. And it was great. It made... That trailer for the Watchmen was better than... The watch. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally just about to ask you what you thought of that film. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if you, you if you ever read the comic or not. 
I sure did. Wow. So like incredible. I don't think any I think first of all it was foolish to try to tackle that comic. Now, in did the you f- know that I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, Do you want to go ahead? No, go for it. Terry Gilliam was um, set to um, to possibly make the Watchmen film, but he wanted to do it as a five-part miniseries for television, five one-hour segments. That probably would have been better. Do you think that would have turned out way better? I don't know if it would have been way better, but see, first of all, the problem with trying to make a visual film movie TV show out of The Watchmen is that it blatantly goes against the idea of The Watchmen. Watchmen played around with the fact that it was a comic book. It was self-aware about the fact that it was a comic book. Mm -hmm. And how do you possibly convey that without speech bubbles and text in a film? So I think they were doomed from the start. Like, I think no matter... And also, making a movie about something that's been around for 30 years and is so highly regarded and so well-loved by so many people, of course it's going to fail. Right. Like, so I can't blame Zack Snyder or Terry Gilliam or whoever, because even Alan Moore, the guy who made Watchmen himself, saying, you just can't do it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not saying you don't have my blessing, but it's just... You're not going to do it. It's not the right medium. And they didn't do it. I appreciate them trying, and I thought it was entertaining to watch, but no, it wasn't as good as the comic book. Nowhere near. Mm -mm. But that trailer was great. And for this very song, I think, right? This song made the trailer. It helped absolutely make the trailer. So what did you think of this track? I have two notes. First one, hey now, Watchmen soundtrack trailer music just talked about that the second note is bad heroin trip the vocals Mm -hmm. um hearing the backstory of the song and how it was originally made in 1997 kind of at the height of smashing pumpkins and potentially maybe billy corrigan's drug use or i don't know if that came later or or what have you but there is definitely a lazy sort of slack jaw almost um vibe to his singing style and his vocals I never really even thought about that, but yeah, totally. I can see like heroin den, someone like nodding off while they're singing this and like ranting. And because I think, I think the lyrics are supposed to be from the perspective of Batman, but they're just kind of like. Do you have the lyrics in front of you? I don't, but you know, it's just stupid, dark, brooding, bumbling, poetic. Billy Corrigan stuff. Of course. Billy Corrigan is Batman. He kind of gets... He definitely kind of got a bad rap of having, like, sophomoric poetic lyrics. So just about angst. In general, angst and depression. And of course. I don't... I mean, I like that kind of stuff. I can under, I can totally understand the critique of it, but... It is, like, I... Maybe I should put more thought into the lyrics, but I kind of just wrote it off as like, oh, it's Billy being sad and angsty, and of that's kind of just what I took it as. It's for a Batman. Yeah, you know. who is sad and angsty, the most sad and angsty of all superheroes. He was perfect. perfect. It was a match made in heaven, actually, if, <laughs> if you think about it enough. Billy Corrigan <laughs> is the Batman of alt-rock. <laughs> that should be the album title, or yeah. the episode title. It's like our third title we came up with. I don't know. I do think that Billy Corrigan's voice was good for this track. 
because I think his voice can be a bit of an acquired taste for some. Yes. It's a very unique voice. It's Definitely. very nasally and whiny, but I think it fit well for the sound of this song. It wasn't too much meh. Absolutely. Like it was kind of cool and I don't know, there's something kind of just cool about this rendition of the track like Most the matrix definitely. cool like walking in slow motion <laughs> with guns in your hand the matrix the cool matrix cool is the fourth title to this yeah. podcast <laughs> and it, i don't know there's something very kind of end of the world climactic calm before the storm kind of like well shit's about to go down it's vibe incredible to even find out that this is for a 1997 Batman Schumacher, Mike Schumacher film because arguably it, the worst Batman movie ever made. Arguably the worst, and it doesn't. When you hear this song, and, and I was only introduced to it by the Watchmen uh, trailer, I would have thought for sure that the Smashing Pumpkins were, you know, or Billy Corgan or whoever was commissioned to write a song for this movie because it fits so well. It does well fit like Watchmen with this like pre-apocalyptic. Or just apocalyptic, about apocalyptic timeline that yeah. is the the Watchmen. Um, it fits so well with that. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, it is. It feels like a song that could have been written in two thousand nine. Yes, exactly. It does not feel nineteen. And then the fact whatsoever. that it was written like over ten years prior to that, they, they were, were ahead. It of feels their time. like they were ahead of the time. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's just a cool track. It's 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 the Matrix cool. So, any other thoughts or? Um, none. All right. So you kind of hinted at before. You'd say your favorite track was the "65 Days of Static." I think so. You know, I didn't necessarily realize this was a post-rock band, but um, uh, looking back, it definitely has um. You know, and maybe if Weezer had gone the instrumental route, that might have taken it honestly. Um, and and I would love to hear a post-rock Weezer. <laughs> post-rock Weezer. That would be incredible. But uh, yeah, definitely 65 Days Static. Cool. I think, and it's a top. Those la- the last three tracks on this are all yeah. really dug. Smashing Pumpkins is good. <sighs> Honestly, I think I'm gonna have to go with the Tub Ring song just because, like, I was I don't know. I found it very refreshing in a way. I haven't heard a song that like that in a long time and it just kind of was like wow it's so catchy and crazy at the same time but the other two are also just really great yeah yeah i think i'm gonna have to go with that dub ring song do you ever pick your least favorite song of the five i don't we usually if don't. you have to what would you say probably the weezer track no way i thought or you were gonna john say john Mayer. i don't know it's hard a younger jared really like that john mayer track oh. like me me and my old college roommate i never chris a picture you that well because he my my old college roommate chris was like super into the blues and steve ray vaughn and he always talked about how like john mayer at least at that point in time when he was trying to get like really bluesy was kind of picking up the mantle of when steve ray vaughn died like he's gonna be the new steve ray vaughn which actually that didn't end up panning out. <laughs> but, you know, we used to get drunk and we'd listen to the live rendition of that John Mayer track and talk about, like, oh, women are bitches and they'll break your heart and how he made the guitar sound like it cried. And so, like, I think now if I could, like, 
There's intelligently look at it, I can see that Weezer track is a better track because Weezer is catchy and unique, and I just like Weezer. But there's a nostalgic factor to that John Mayer track that. that like holds a special place in my heart. This is actually a very solid five songs. Like, I don't remember what the, my last. I think I listened to a Bjork song was one of them. There was a Bjork song last time I was on your podcast, and so there was some a lot of it was very eclectic, and this is also eclectic, but. Um, I think the quality is there with all of these songs for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So if anyone wants to connect with us, you can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash shuffle. Find us on Twitter at shuffle podcast. Go to that bullshit social network, Tumblr, shufflepodcast.tumblr.com. Don't go there. You guys have a Vine account? No, we don't. Let's put, let's start a Vine right, account. I'll start a Vine account that'll live for the next seven days follow shuffle on vine <laughs> i vine this whole episode yeah. you can follow in six there. second segments and then once the vines get taken down you can email us and complain about it at shufflecastpod at gmail.com mm. and you can go on our wonderful website www.jrdsctt.com shuffle to check out those awesome top five albums that max talked about i'll be posting videos to the the tracks he recommended off of that list and the vine songs he talked about and if you want to help support the podcast go to the top of this episode's page and there'll be an amazon link up there you click on that and then you can just shop as normal it won't affect your prices at all but we get a little bit of kickback for helping support them so just do your normal shopping but make sure you click on our Amazon portal link. So other than that, um, here are your tracks for episode 26, Ooh. whenever that comes out. Speaking of that El Huervo guy in that track from Hotline Miami, <laughs> the specific song from that, Desuki by El Huervo, that's the first track on episode 26. Great. Second track, The Grudge by Tool. Third track, Dead Eyes Open by Cinema Strange. Fourth track, The Mask featuring Ghostface by Danger Doom. Ooh. And the fifth track, Puritania by Dimu Borgir. So uh, thank you, Max, for being on. Thank you, Jared, for having me. Do you want to plug any of your shit? Follow me on Vine and Twitter, Fell and a Maxwell. I'll post links to both his Vine and Twitter accounts. Thank you, Jared. I'm looking forward to the end of next year when you're on again. Oh, God, I'm very excited. Dude, 2017 Max is going to be so baller. This podcast better, if it's not running, if it's not up in 2017, I'll have nothing to look forward to. Yeah, this is all that's keeping both of us going. Now that Vine is over? (laughs) It's just this podcast. All right, well, I usually like to end, I've been ending it um, lately like this, where I'll make Dominic say so. Max, say something offensive. Um, your mother is a bad lady.